the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, March 18th. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show we'll be looking at Ryanair's plans to fly transatlantic and the latest in the Aer Lingus takeover saga. In the past few days it's emerged that Ryanair's board has approved plans to look at offering transatlantic flights and it's currently in talks with manufacturers about purchasing long-haul aircraft. It's potentially a five-year plan that could involve flying from various European cities to 12 or 14 US airports. What will this mean for transatlantic airfares from Ireland and what impact might have on Aer Lingus, which is currently subject to a takeover bid from IAG in Britain. Joining me in studio to discuss these issues are Irish Times reporters Pamela Noonan and Barry O'Halloran. And by fo- phone, we're joined by Owen Curry, editor of Travel Extra. Pamela, we might start with you first. Perhaps you could just tell us exactly what Ryanair confirmed during the week. Yes, so a few days ago, uh, right, it came out that the Ryanair board had approved a long-term, a five-year growth strategy which would include transatlantic flights and the transatlantic flights would be from several cities in Europe such as Dublin, London and Berlin to between 12 and 14 cities in the United States such as New York, Boston, Chicago and Miami and they want to have flights starting at £10 sterling which I think might be a little bit unrealistic but they would ultimately get all their money back on the kind of premium prices for example business class. Okay, and very much taking a similar model that they have on the short haul routes and just extending it to transatlantic effectively. Yes, exactly taking that model, but they'll have to get new planes. And they've actually been talking about transatlantic flights for several years now, saying Mm. they wanted to do transatlantic flights, but uh, getting planes was a problem. So they confirmed uh, this week that they were in talks with the likes of you know, Boeing and Airbus to get new planes do transatlantic flights. Now, they didn't actually name Airbus or Boeing, but it would be those type of the place that they would be in talks with. Uh, But they do need new planes and any transatlantic flights that do happen would be dependent on them getting new planes. Okay, and this wouldn't necessarily be under the Ryanair name. No, I think it would be under the Ryanair name. They would do Ryanair transatlantic flights. Owen Curry, uh, you're a seasoned traveller. Tickets for a a tenor across the Atlantic, it sounds like a great deal. How realistic is it, do you think? No, everything is realistic, lead-in fares. If you remember, we had zero fares on short-haul flights and we pay, they paid the taxes. Uh, that's uh, The big question is how many of those seats are released. If you're running at 88, 91% load factor, what they try to do is not put, uh, not affect the existing load factor. What they do is try and uh, drop uh, extra seats onto that, tack extra seats onto that at a very low price. And the promotional value, there's two things here. It, it sometimes will come uh, what you're losing you will come out of marketing budget because it is a great marketing device but um, there is no question that anybody uh, the North Atlantic is very unforgiving as opposed to what happens within Europe or within Asia where the low cost operators uh, are, are very strong um, the low cost is unforgiving the transatlantic is unforgiving and anyone who's gone in low cost uh, has ended up getting burned very very badly but there are signs that that may be changing um, and I think uh, Ryanair as um, they have been talking about this for a long time what has changed in the last 12 to 18 months a couple of the other low cost carriers have started nibbling away at that and Ryanair aren't great at being a first mover in these situations but they have a great record of being a second mover and reaping a very very bountiful harvest as a result 
Oh, and this summer, I think there's going to be something like 326 transatlantic flights a week to and from North America, from Apparently Ireland. both directions, yeah. Yeah, and, and 10 carriers on those routes. in each way, yeah. Yeah, and, and Ryanair presumably wants to get some of that action, including, you know, uh, some of the action from the UK and Germany and elsewhere. Um, so what might this mean for the existing carriers out of Ireland, particularly Aer Lingus? Ireland isn't going to be a big uh, player in this at all. They're well, looking at the big, big uh, gateway cities and uh, Dublin mightn't even count in the first flush. Um, I also, uh, you know, the, 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 there isn't really much new in what has happened over the last few days. The board has given the CEO a free hand to do what he's very, very good at. And what he's very good at is not announcing in advance that he's going to do uh, a big aircraft sale. Um, he's the problem with, uh, you know, the plan that they've had and they've nursed it along and I don't think there's any question of it being the same airline. I think it will be a sister airline of Ryanair um, because it, it, he's very critical, Michael O'Leary would be very critical of what Norwegian have done, uh, putting the transatlantic under the same brand as the, um, the, the short haul because it creates all sorts of rivalries within pilots, within cabin crew, the sort of stuff we saw in Aer Lingus over the last 20-25 years. So what will happen is uh, the price of, for this to happen, the price of wide-bodied aircraft will have to drop substantially from the levels that they are at the moment. And then he'll swoop, do one of his big uh, purchases. There'll be a press conference uh, with himself and Boeing, more likely Boeing than Airbus. His track record, although he always says he's open to talks to Airbus, uh, Boeing uh, actually have been supported Ryanair when he needed them. And there is a, a strong track record, a long history of buying from Boeing. And it, it will come very suddenly without too much announcement. But what will trigger it? The trigger is not going to be a big event like an Olympics or anything like that. It's the, the, what will trigger it is purely the price of wide-bodied craft. And this is the problem. The price of wide-bodied craft is going the other direction. It's sort of a feeding frenzy led by the Middle Eastern Airlines, uh, Emirates, Etihad, and Qatar. And they're the ones who are you know, filling the order books and uh, there's a scramble even for the, you know, the A350, which wouldn't be regarded as a, as, um, as a frontline craft uh, from that side of the world. So he's been waiting for five or six years for the price of wide-bodied craft to drop. It hasn't happened and it doesn't look like happening, happening soon. When um, it does drop, when he does make that sudden swoop, and, and we, again, we're talking about years and years and years' time, um, he's got... Also, it's unlikely Dublin will be in the first flush or it'll try, he'll try and work out of Stansted, out of Frankfurt, man. He won't be going to Charles de Gaulle. There's absolutely certain he won't be going to Charles de Gaulle, Frankfurt or uh, London Heathrow. But every other uh, airport, including Amsterdam, including Brussels, including Copenhagen, including Rome, all of those are in the mix. And he'll t- tee them up point to point, throw a lot of aircraft at it, much more than we're seeing being put in the market by WestJet and Wow and by um, Norwegian and uh, take it, you know, do it, do it a bit of razzmatazz. Uh, and I suspect part of that razzmatazz is the 10 euro, um, the 10 euro one way ticket. When Michael O'Leary talks about it, he says he can do it for under 100, but the 10 euro was certainly, uh, it, 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 it's such a headline ca- uh, capturer that uh, that will probably show up, but it, it'll be a marketing device, not anything related to the economics of, of ru- um, running that flight, even though, and this is important, Karen, the economics of the flight are going to improve with every year. 
fuel efficiency is sure. improving, range of craft is, is is improving, and you don't have to um, you, you you don't you do, you don't have to really um, you know, accruing is also accruing won't be as big an issue with him as it is with Lufthansa Air France and on long haul craft. So all of those things will be lined up like ducks in a row. And uh, as I say, the, he won't announce too far in advance because um, the, air, the uh, aircraft uh, salespeople lo- um, love someone telegraphing long in advance that someone is buying planes because they push up the price. And Owen, you've mentioned that they, they might fly from the likes of Stansted or Han in Europe. Um, but where are they going to fly into in the US? I suppose one of the concerns that, that a lot of people have is that they might be flown into airports that are miles away from anywhere. And I saw some jokes on Twitter that uh, they would have people parachuting into the Hudson um, rather than actually taking you into New York. So any, any, any sense of where you might fly into? Uh, no shortage of, of uh, air, airports which are not overcrowded. JFK is very seriously overcrowded. There's uh, some suggestion that he'd use uh, Rhode Island for Boston, that he'd use Long Island for New York. But, um, you know, outside of the uh, Atlanta, Chicago, O'Hare and JFK, um, there's the central, you know, the, the, the Philadelphia's of the world, the uh, Washington Dulles, BWI, places like that, there's no shortage of them with uh, hungry for the business and uh, he will be going like he went to you, airports in Europe and saying this is our track record we deliver um, we deliver uh, truckloads of passengers into your retail space and uh, what are you going to do for us make us an offer we can't refuse he's good, you know the history of Ryanair is of delivering it's, I mean people say they're rough when they're negotiations with airports and they are but the reason they are rough is they have a tremendous history of meeting their targets and delivering the, the, the huge numbers of passengers that airports love to see uh, trailing through and then all the retail franchises and everybody else uh, gets excited about there won't be a shortage of them I suspect it won't be um, like on this side he won't be doing Heathrow, Charles de Gaulle or uh, Frankfurt, but um, what he probably will be avoiding the JFKs and O'Hare's on the other side. But every, everywhere else is up for grabs. Sure. Pamela, just coming to you, they've also indicated that they might do package holidays as well, which would be an interesting departure. Yes. So the last few days, the transatlantic flights has dominated all the press and everyone's been talking about that. But what has been kind of sidelined is that they're also kind of thinking on a much more short term basis, maybe the next 12 to 18 months that they would do package holidays. And it's kind of like a natural progression for them because, uh, you know, Sunway, Thomas Cook, all the likes of them are doing it. And uh, Ryanair have a kind of partnership with Booking.com. So they already have all the accommodation. So as well as just going onto their website to book uh, either accommodation or a flight, you could just go on and book a whole Ryanair package holiday. Owen, uh, Ryanair going transatlantic, or if it is a sister airline going transatlantic, it sees them effectively stepping outside their comfort zone. And the big money, if you like, on transatlantic is always made at the front end of the aeroplane. And Aer Lingus doesn't really have a track record for offering business class services. So how might that work in the long term for them? Uh, the reason Aer Lingus has problem with its business class uh, services is the business class market isn't very strong out of Dublin. It's one of the reasons why um, Ryanair will be looking at the other cities. Now, that's where not being in Heathrow, Charles de Gaulle and, left, and in Frankfurt causes a problem. There's no doubt that fine uh, as Gatwick is for transatlantic services, and it's had quite a few, the money is all in Heathrow. And um, it will be interesting, will that lead to a change of strategy after his, uh, or may lead it to turn around 
but he has talked about uh, producing a very, very high uh, end business class. Um, I think people look to what Virgin did, where Virgin not just uh, up the business class standards, but also up the economy class standards when they went transatlantic many years ago. So um, he was talking about a serious business class product. It won't be, you know, there, there are places that really don't have a strong business class market. Dublin doesn't or hasn't until now that may be changing but um, it, that's one of the reasons he'd be looking to the bigger cities they're also the, on the package holiday um, end it's interesting that you know they are effectively a travel agent already as they has as uh, um, they it, it's just been mentioned that we we have you have uh, you could book hotel beds through the site and it's suddenly uh, um, i don't i'm not absolutely sure they know what they're doing when they talk about the the, the package holiday market but it's very interesting that the former head of falcon uh, ireland's biggest tour operator has just joined ryanair i think um, there's it's certainly something that they're um you know they'll be looking at whether they go the whole hog and set it up under a traditional tour operator system or more like the more modern way that travel agents have of selling their holidays as a dynamic packaging operation. That's probably more likely. But um, basically, any end of the holiday business is up for grabs as far as they're concerned under their new strategy. And Owen, they've traditionally been a point-to-point carrier, but transatlantic often involves connecting flights, you know, people going, let's say, from the US to to Ireland or to London and then connecting uh, onto some other part of Europe. Do you see that as being part of this Ryanair plan? It's completely the antithesis of everything they believe in. Um, The whole notion of... Uh, paying baggage, paying for baggage. I mean, their baggage costs is one of the the big areas that they tackled, and everybody said it couldn't be done. But the, one of the things they did, uh, with a combination of their charges and a com- and uh, as you say, just operating point to point, meant that their baggage handling costs uh, tumbled in relation to a lot of their competitors. And it's one of the things the the big um, price point advantages that they have is that they don't have uh, transfer luggage. Now, um, if they can, uh, you know, they, there's a lot of things that they said they would never do that they are doing now. And if there is a transatlantic operation, will that suddenly, will that lead them on to uh, what you've just alluded to, the hub and spoke, uh, where you fly to uh, an, an airport to to carry on transatlantic uh, that question it, uh, on the face of it no it's something they'll never do but we've seen a few things that they said they would never do uh, have been changed in the last 18 months and I think uh, the economics of transatlantic are very very different people have perished on it before and Michael, uh, Michael O'Leary and Ryanair are not going into this blind they've watched everything they've actually had people for nearly 10 years uh, travelling on transatlantic craft uh, just to watch and gather intelligence and see what works and what doesn't. So it's something they've been researching for a long, long time. And um, when it comes to it, I think the hub and spoke might be up for grabs. Uh, uh, Another of the things that Ryanair said they never would do and they turn around and eventually do. Going to bring Barry O'Halloran into the conversation now. Barry, Ryanair actually launched the US website uh, just before Christmas. Yeah, that's uh, correct. Back in December. What was all that about? That, that was fu- fundamentally, that was aimed at US travellers who were flying over here on, obviously on, on uh, other airlines, but who want to go from whatever point they're landing in and fly cheaply to, to elsewhere in Europe. And uh, Has it been successful? It, 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 certainly, according to Ryanair, it has. They said they've got a great response to it. And in fact, 
they say that they did this in response to demand from the, the, the US initially, that they found that there were people from the US coming onto their website anyway as things stood. So they decided to try and this, that this was a market that they wanted to go out and capture more of. And certainly I think if you could look at it one way and, and, and say that it's a kind of a taster, it's, it's, it's a way for them to see just how what sort of a response there will be to their product at the other side of the Atlantic. Because we keep forgetting that, you know, if you're flying out from Europe, you're obviously flying back. And obviously, if you're picking up U.S. passengers at the far side, that boosts your business as well. Owen, oh, if Ryanair were to be successful uh, with this in a few, a few years down the road, do you think there's any chance of Southwest or JetBlue, let's say, um, coming on? These are U.S. airlines who effectively have similar business models coming onto the transatlantic routes? Yeah, they're they're all looking at it. Again, it's a place that uh, low cost traditionally has perished. Um, what we've seen, though, is a couple of operators, and WestJet in, in uh, Canada would be the best known in Ireland purely because they just came on that uh, St. John's to Dublin route, and we now have one going the, the other direction, uh, Europe Airpost, which is uh, Irish-franchised or Irish-owned uh, uh, Irish, uh, in, in a peculiar roundabout sort of a way, uh, operating a route from Dublin to Halifax. Now, um, Michael O'Leary can get to the across the Atlantic with a 737, but he's talking about doing it properly, as we say, 12 cities, 15 cities in each direction. When um, that is happening, I think the uh, American um, low-cost uh, JetBlue and, and uh, um, Southwest, they, they traditionally have, they, they, they don't have uh, any policy of just sticking within America because they do operate extensive um, networks into Canada. WestJet operates into the United States. Uh, they all operate to the Caribbean and they have the reach uh, and some of them have the wide body craft to do it. So what they're looking at is... Um, you know the economics of it, and it's, there's no doubt everybody wants to get on get onto this transatlantic. But it's regarded really as oversupplied, and that's the most interesting thing. It's uh, one of the issues for Aer Lingus is that they uh, will claim because if you get your cost base right, and Aer Lingus's cost base will mean they deliver tickets 20, 25 percent below their the main American airlines and some of the European airlines on the North Atlantic, you can make money out of it. But that's it's the economic deterrent, not a regulatory deterrent because that's gone with open skies or any sort of point of principle that's keeping the American low cost operators away from Europe. As um, aircraft uh, efficiency improves, um, the economics will change as well and uh, it, it will be a very, very interesting next decade or so for the consumer. Oh, no, we've been told that Transatlantic has been one of the key successes for Aer Lingus over the past couple of years in, in their strategy. Of course, we have the the CBP uh, pre-clearance here in Dublin, which is a big benefit as well. And Aer Lingus has done well in hubby, using Dublin as a hub, uh, basically by bringing people in from regional UK or from other parts of Europe uh, to use Dublin as a hub to fly on to Transatlantic. Under that scenario, and we're told that's one of the reasons why IAG wants to take it over, it's effectively a third runway for Heathrow. So under that scenario, why wouldn't Ryanair be interested in Dublin as part of its first wave across uh, the Atlantic? Just the pure size of it. Uh, I mean, if they're pricing, if they're working out the economics of the craft, um, then if business class is more important than it would be for other operators, uh, that's one of the things. You've got to remember Aer Lingus have made a success out of Transatlantic um, because they fed Dublin. We're from uh, mainland Europe and uh, to a lesser extent the UK um, with passengers to fill those flights. If you're, if you're on uh, an Aer Lingus transatlantic craft at this time of the year, you could have uh, three quarters of the entire craft having been moved, to, shipped into Dublin. 
um, on the, of the outbound shipped into Dublin from other cities, and that's not just Europeans. That's also Americans who've gone on uh, on um, to Germany and France, and uh, you know, if you if a transatlantic flight to Poland or from Poland is enormously expensive, so a lot of people are using uh, feeder services from Eastern Europe into Dublin, and as you say, CBP. So Ryanair, not you know, Dublin. It's it, it, it's a very Irish airline in a peculiar way, which is odd considering so little of its volume is related to Ireland. Um, it still has does sort of very Irish things. So it might include Dublin as a first wave, but it wouldn't be doing so purely out of the economics of it, it or out of a major profit. It wouldn't run an uneconomic route, but um, it doesn't. Uh, it won't be part of that hubbing of Dublin, which has been central both to Aer Lingus and to the DAA strategy over the last two, three years. Pamela, part of the Ryanair short haul success has been the way in which it's able to turn around its aircraft very quickly. That's obviously going to be a different characteristic with long haul. Yeah, definitely. So they have a 25 minute turnaround now that they say uh, when they go to London or Spain or Portugal or anywhere, they'll turn around the flight in 25 minutes. And I don't think that's going to be possible when they go to America. Uh, they'll have a lot more higher fuel requirements, so it'll take longer to fill up the plane. They'll definitely need a lot more food, and I don't think they can just get away with offering a few snacks that people pay for. I think they will have to do meals, drinks, that. A lot of the airlines offer like pillows, blankets, all that kind of stuff, the headphones, the movies, so they have to you know, get all new headphones and all that on board. And I think just even the checks for the plane would take a lot longer. The kind of engineers and aircraft maintenance people who would check the plane after every flight before it goes out again, I think that would be uh, take a longer time. So I don't think they're going to have the 25-minute quick turnaround time that they would have in Europe. Oh, and what are your thoughts on the utilisation of aircraft? Is it simply over and back in one day? Is that all an aircraft can do on long haul or, or could it be used for some short haul sectors? Oh yeah, they, when, if they get if they land uh, somewhere, they will be using W patterns like they use already. We could uh, we could see uh, Ryanair um, shifting their craft around their wide body craft, or the new sister of Ryanair shifting their wide body craft around. They do things quite differently, and uh, you know they there is. Uh, there, there will be uh, issues within. You know, you, you could end up with uh, double, double stops and in either side of the Atlantic. Um, again, it's all very theoretical because the Ryanair business model that we have for Europe and what will be used for the sister airline could be very contrasting. And you know, with the the twenty five minute turnaround, mightn't even be a factor. Um, there, the the. Uh, issues of using CBP in Dublin also, you know, there's a cost issue there, so they mightn't even, they might be running people from Dublin without using CBP. But it, what I, I think the key to the success, uh, my, the understanding in Ryanair is the key to the success of a transatlantic operation is that it doesn't make mistakes that have been made by other airline, air, airlines before, and it also that it has to work under a different model than the, to the Europe. European uh, model that has served them so, so well. Okay, well, we'll see how it plays out over the next uh, number of years. Owen Corey, editor of Travel Extra and Pamela Noonan of the Thank Irish Times. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Pamela and Owen are going to leave us now, but we're going to stick with Barry O'Halloran and discuss the Aer Lingus takeover story. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. 
Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. We move now to Aer Lingus and the latest developments in its proposed takeover by Willie Walsh's IAG, owner of British Airways, among others. Uh, Barry O'Halloran, Etihad's chief executive, James Hogan, said today that the airline would be prepared to sell its stake in Aer Lingus to IAG. How significant a move is that? I think it's relatively significant, Kieran. Um, in in the sort of the, the three months plus since we've known that that IAG is interested in taking over Aer Lingus, um, one of the questions we've all been asking and we've all been waiting to to hear answered is is what. Uh, Etihad would do with its 4.11% uh, in the event of an offer being made. And uh, James Hogan has effectively said on the record today that, yeah, uh, if, I, if IAG were to take control of Aer Lingus, we would happily sell our shares. Shares, rather. Yeah, and that's interesting because Etihad had always been seen as the strategic uh, partner for Aer Lingus, uh, given that Ryanair, it, you know, it's been refused several times by the European authorities in terms of taking over Aer Lingus, it's the biggest shareholder in the register. But Ryanair isn't going to be allowed to buy Aer Lingus. So Etihad was seen as the logical other strategic partner for Aer Lingus, save for the fact that it can't own more than, what, 49.9% under EU rules. Yeah, that's correct. It, it, it can't own more than 49.9% under EU rules, but it, it was always kind of hotly tipped as a potential buyer should this, the, the state put its 25.1%. Uh, up for sale and in fact you might remember Kiran that uh, the government did signal its willingness to, to put up that 25% for sale uh, back in 2012 around the time that Etihad f- first acquired 3% of Aer Lingus and at that point it, it, that was very, it was very much seen that, that Etihad would, would step into the government's shoes and become a, a strategic partner helping to fend off the likes of Ryanair as well along the way. And Etihad and IAG are big, big rivals. Um, so has Etihad been outmaneuvered? Um, to a certain extent, I, I, one would have to say yes. I mean, James Hogan has always been very enthusiastic about Aer Lingus and has said on the record on several occasions, yeah, we'd like to own more of that, that airline. We think it's a great brand. But And uh, they have other airlines in Europe, don't they? Air Berlin the, and Alitalia. Air Berlin, Alitalia. I, I mean... Neither Air Berlin or Alitalia are in as strong a position as Aer Lingus is currently, um, and certainly you, you could argue that both of those brands have been very much damaged. Whereas Aer Lingus seems to have enhanced its its brand in recent years. And uh, uh, James Hogan was, like I say, very enthusiastic about it, but now certainly they do look to have been reduced to that to to, to being a bit player in all of this drama. Okay, um, now where are we at with the government's stake? I mean, the government owns roughly 25% and for mm. the past three months or so has been pondering whether uh, it shall approve or, or not approve IAG's uh, proposed takeover of Aer Lingus. Where's the stand at the minute? Well, they're, fundamentally, they're still pondering. IAG and uh, a, a cross-departmental government body set up to effectively review um, IAG's offer or proposed offer are due to meet uh, this week once again. The, the kind of the key sticking point is is this um, guarantee from Willie Walsh and IAG that the uh, Aer Lingus uh, Heathrow slots will be used solely to serve Irish routes or routes from the, the three state-owned Irish airports uh, for five years subsequent to an IAG takeover. Uh, Willie Walsh has said five years and no more. The government has said 
it must be more than five years. So it's it's how the two sides find a way around that, I think, is, is, is now become a fundamental issue. Whether it, this is a deal breaker or not, I don't know. There may be some way that, that both sides can effectively fudge and both sides can come out and claim some kind of victory. Um, and and it's I, I suspect it's down to the mandarins and to the the IAG senior people to, to thrash that out and work out just and, what and that might be. And this is a big issue, particularly in the Midwest, isn't it? Where yeah. Shannon Airport has Heathrow slots, they're very valuable, very valued uh, by the local community down there. And the concern there is that when the the period, be it five years or, or other, uh, when that expires, that uh, IAG will pull Aer Lingus off those slots and use them for other routes. Yeah, that is a concern. But I mean, the, the, this has been a concern in both Cork and Shannon from from the get go that that the the Aer Lingus slots in Heathrow that that are being used to service th- those airports will be diverted to some other purpose more or less immediately after IAG has taken taken it over. IAG has said no, this is not the case. Those are, that's a very profitable business. We want to keep that. It's very good for us because it serves extra passengers into BA, which otherwise we would not have. Um, and what Walsh has said is, look, I'm, I'm happy to give you five years. I'm not going to give you more than five years because I'm tying myself into a, an unconscionable deal with the, the airports. I'm giving the airports themselves no incentive to keep me because they know I am committed for a, a period of longer than five years. And I would actually be damaging my own business if I were to do that. And no other businessman would give you uh, a guarantee longer than the one that I am offering you. There's also a kind of a little bit of an irony here that the, the actual uh Heathrow-Shannon traffic fell last year, not by a significant enough amount, but by a significant enough amount. The authorities in, in Shannon Airport would tell you, well, that was because Aer Lingus actually cut the capacity that it, it was using smaller craft uh, on those routes. But the reason that Aer Lingus is using smaller craft on the routes is because Aer Lingus at the same time opened a number of transatlantic routes from Shannon direct to the States. To Boston, I think. In and to Boston, way. yes. And what, what has happened there is that traffic that would have gone from Shannon to Heathrow and from Heathrow it's to the States direct. is now going direct. So there's a sort of, there's a question I think to be asked here is just absolutely how vital these links are. I'm not saying that they are not vital, but whether we are slightly overplaying the, the, the importance of these links in the, the, in the longer term. Now, Aer Lingus chairman Colin Barrington said recently that a decision has to be made sooner or later. They can't continue to operate with this question mark hanging over the future of the business. What kind of timescale are we looking at? I think ideally Aer, Aer Lingus would have liked to have seen this wrapped up and put away one way or the other by the end of the first quarter of the year. And in fact... I so think, that's the end of March. Which is, yeah, with, we, we're literally talking in two weeks' time. That now seems very unlikely. And in fact, there is likely to be a question mark hanging over this for quite some time. We are unlikely to see any kind of further movement from the government before next week, as we know they're all away um, selling Ireland to the rest of the world Mm. uh, this week. So they're back next week. So that's the earliest point at which we get some kind of decision. You then have the Ryanair issue, and you then have to deal with at least three competition authorities uh, starting with Brussels and our own domestic competition regulator plus the British competition regulator all of whom are going to play a role in this and all of whom are going to take quite a long time to make a decision themselves so even if the government were to come out tomorrow and say yeah we're happy to sell the state's 25% stake you are looking at an 8 to 10 week process after that And what about Ryanair because Ryanair owns just shy of 30% of Aer Lingus it's kept its powder dry to date in relation to how it feels about IAG but IAG has made it a condition of its offer hasn't it that there must be acceptance by government and there must be acceptance by Ryanair. Yeah, IAG has done that and Ryanair has said, um, look, no one has come to us, no one has come to uh, seeking to buy those Aer Lingus shares from us. 
when that happens, our board will sit down and it will consider any proposal that we get very carefully before making a decision. But here's the crux. Ryanair doesn't get to make that decision because of the uh, legal process that it's engaged with, with the British CMA, which is the, the British competition regulator. That organisation wants Ryanair to cut its Aer Lingus stake to 5%. Ryanair is appealing this through the courts. While that process is going on, um, what happens is that the British competition regulator um, actually gets a say in what Ryanair does with those shares. So Ryanair can't sell those shares without the British competition regulators um, say so. So not only does the Ryanair board have to look at this, should this should an offer materialise, the British competition regulator may also would also have a say. We don't actually know what they're going to do in that circumstance. And what's your instinct on what the government will say, yeah or nay? I'm... Um, I'm kind of, I'm heading in the direction of maybe 55-45 uh, in favour of the government saying yes. Uh, I think that there may there may still be internal issues. The Labour Party has concerns about the trade unions. The reality is that the trade unions are never going to welcome this with open arms. They may take a more neutral or, or less hostile stance towards it as time goes on. And I think on balance, I think the government would probably like to sell it now. Okay, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Owen Corey, Pamela Noonan and Barry O'Halloran for their contributions. Sinead O'Shea produced the show. The researcher was Declan Conlon and JJ Vernon was sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today. Email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next week, take care.